All right, all right. Welcome to the Cavus Ships Podcast, where we try and cut through the fog and the murk and shine a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day. I'm Chris Cavus. And I'm Chris Cervello. The Cavus Ships Podcast is sponsored by HII. HII is a trusted defense and technologies partner supporting all services in all domains and America's only builder of nuclear-powered aircraft carriers. HII delivering the advantage. And by GE Marine, a GE aerospace company, offering unparalleled power and propulsion for ships from the biggest combatants to the smallest, fastest patrol boats. GE's propulsion solutions are ready for the next generation of sea power. Learn more at geaerospace.com slash marine. Coming up, the Pentagon's annual report on Chinese military power was just released. And once again, it is full of details about China's continued military buildup. Naval analyst and longtime China Navy watcher Tom Sugar is back with us to take a deeper dive into what the People's Liberation Army Navy has been up to. But first, a look at this week's naval news. The U.S. Senate on November 2nd was able to confirm Admiral Lisa Franchetti as the Chief of Naval Operations and Air Force General David Alvin as Chief of Staff of the Air Force. Both were sworn in within hours of confirmation, along with Marine General Christopher Mahoney, to become Assistant Commandant of the Marine Corps. Meanwhile, Marine Commandant General Eric Smith is reported to be in stable condition after suffering an apparent heart attack on the evening of October 29th, while out jogging in Washington, D.C. The vote on Mahoney's nomination to become Assistant Commandant was added to the votes for CNO and Air Force Chief of Staff due to Smith's medical emergency. Franchetti, a career surface warfare officer, becomes the first woman to serve as the Navy's top officer. The votes have been held up for months due to a blanket block on top-level military nominations by Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama. Several Republican senators joined with their Democrat colleagues to push the votes for the three officers, although the nominations of nearly 400 other officers remain blocked by Tuberville. In the Western Pacific, the recently deployed USS Carl Vincent Carrier Strike Group is reported operating around Okinawan waters, while the USS Ronald Reagan Carrier Strike Group with two cruisers were reported operating in the Philippine Sea on November 3rd after a visit to the Philippine capital of Manila. Also on November 3rd, the, the destroyer USS Dewey carried out a freedom of navigation passage near the Spratly Islands in the South China Sea, where U.S. 7th Fleet said China... Taiwan and Vietnam are engaging in what they call excessive maritime and territorial claims, all three countries claiming all of the Spratleys as their own. The Dewey's FONOP came two days after destroyer USS Rafael Peralta and the Canadian frigate Ottawa transited the Taiwan Strait, a move China quickly labeled provocative, saying the Americans and Canadians, quote, hyped up the passage between Taiwan and mainland China. It was the third time this year a Canadian frigate and U.S. destroyer made the transit together. In the Mediterranean theater of operations, the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower Carrier Strike Group joined with the USS Gerald R. Ford Carrier Strike Group for three days of exercises that concluded on November 3rd. Photos released by U.S. Sixth Fleet showed the two carriers operating together along with Sixth Fleet flagship USS Mount Whitney and the Italian frigates Carlo Margaritini and Virginio Vassan. 
the Eisenhower has been ordered to proceed to U.S. Central Command's operational area and will shortly pass southbound through the Suez Canal to the Red Sea. Closer to home, the U.S. Coast Guard on October 31st announced a series of operational reductions due to a shortage of more than 3,000 personnel. While details of the AY-24 Force Alignment Initiative, AY for Assignment Year, are still forthcoming, the announced cuts are significant. Among them, three WMEC medium endurance cutters will be laid up pending decommissioning. Seven 87-foot WPB patrol boats will be placed out of service. Five 65-foot WYTL harbor tugs will be reduced to a ready status in case of need. And two WPC fast response cutters will begin overhauls with no crews assigned. Staffing also is being reduced at 44 Coast Guard stations and 36 aids-to-navigation teams. The service said there will be no loss of search-and-rescue capabilities. A message from Coast Guard Commandant Admiral Linda Fagan read in part, the Coast Guard cannot maintain the same level of operations with our current shortfall. We cannot do the same with less. And that's a look at just some of this week's Naval News. All right, let's move to the discussion portion of the show. As we mentioned at the top, we are happy to be joined by Tom Shugart. Tom is a retired Naval officer, former submariner, um, who is currently a adjunct senior fellow at the Center for New American Security, uh, also the founder of Archer Strategic Consulting, a friend of the pod and return guest. Tom, thanks for joining us. Hi, Chris and Chris. So, Tom, um, two weeks ago or so, uh, the 2023 China Military Power Report uh, was issued by the Department of Defense. Um, There was some coverage uh, in the media, but uh, most of the really good coverage came from people like yourself on Twitter or on Blogspot or, um, you know, other places. Um, I'd love to get your take on what your thoughts were on this year's report and kind of what themes and reporting in the report caught your attention and what you think people need to pay attention to. Well, as always, the report, you know, which is mandated by Congress to provide information to them, in reality, it also ends up being a treasure trove of open source information for those of us that watch the Chinese military, and in particular for those of us now outside of DOD who watch the Chinese military. In some cases, uh, the report confirms things that we suspected. Uh, For example, things that I saw watching China shipyards on Google Earth. Uh, But in other cases, there's entirely new information that that, uh, is released, previously classified, that uh, gives us new perspectives on things that China has been up to. So it's quite useful for those of us who watch the Chinese military. I think that if I was looking for a theme of the report, uh, to a large part, it's that China is is, uh, exerting a fair bit of coercion against its neighbors uh, in the region. And it's also confronting dangerously at times uh, the United States and its allies uh, on the the open open sea, high seas and and, uh, in international airspace. Uh, it's also dramatically continuing to dramatically improve its ability to fight and oftentimes, as I said, confront the U.S. military. And it also doesn't seem to be particularly interested in talking anymore uh, to the U.S. military, although there may be apparent recent signs in the very recent last few days that it, perhaps that is going to change. Um, but in any case, uh, one of the things that I do like to do to help give people some perspective on the report is just to go and it's 200 plus pages is to go, you know, not everybody has time to read that much. So I'll just take it and look at the last year's report and go page by page and pick out those things that uh, I thought are interesting that have changed 
uh, from the previous year. And then also sometimes I'll go back and look further back three, four or five years uh, and, and pick out things that have really changed uh, dramatically when you look a little further at the, at the risk otherwise of kind of being at a bit of the subject to a bit of the boiling frog syndrome where it just change, things change a little bit every year. And over time, those changes really, uh, really do add up to something. Um, but again, the, the theme is often in many ways similar to previous years. We have just continued really quite extraordinary expansion of the, uh, the Chinese military's capabilities, uh, in particular, its offensive capabilities, both in the region and also potentially power projection further afield. Tom, you specifically called out in your uh, Twitter feed, which was very good as you kind of went through and you uh, you, you show excerpts um, from the report and provide commentary, um, specifically talking about the PLA Navy. Um, you talk about the hull count, 370 ships this year, up from 340. You mentioned that you were surprised by the growth that occurred, um, that, you know, 15 hull jump in surface combatants specifically uh, what, what do you take from that? I mean, is that just that they continue to build or is there something deeper that people should pay attention to, um, you know, beyond just the the difference in numbers between the U.S. and the PLAN? Well, the jump, it's funny, I, after I said that, I went back and looked at the, you know, some of the charts that we've seen for predictions of the whole count increasing in the future. And I actually shouldn't have been surprised because it's actually pretty much right on track. Uh, with the trend lines that we've been seeing for the expansion. Just the thing that surprised me was that I just personally hadn't counted that many ships um, being built in their shipyards. And this is, again, is where DOD just has resources that are you know far beyond uh, even the best uh, commercial imagery in some cases. And they have people that are dedicated to watching, you know, individual hulls. And and I, I ne I've never had any illusion that I'm ac an actual satellite, you know, imagery uh -huh. analyst. I'm a former ship driver. So, but the people that they have, they can, you know, can tell the difference between one ship and the next that's in serial production. You know, we often can't, times can't tell that uh, looking with commercial imagery. And it, clearly they've, more ships were under construction than I had counted that year um, by a, a pretty fair number. So again, tracking roughly with the online, with the, the previous trend lines, but still a surprise in terms of the, the number I've been able to see under construction uh, in their shipyards. Uh, going on on the uh, naval construction stuff, uh, one thing that um, we did have some interesting things come out of the submarine construction news. Uh, again, I had counted maybe two Yuan-class submarines uh, being built. Turns out it was four. Um, we've seen Type 93B uh, vertical launch missile capable, uh, the new variant of the Shang-class SSN be launched. Uh, I had suspected there were two. There are, Some other folks thought that there was probably just one Again, hard hard to tell with commercial imagery. We have a we have a confirmation that it was two 93B submarines that were launched. Um, also, there's some there was some new words about Type 96 construction. So the Type 96 is what we expect to be the next follow-on class of uh, submarines. It'll probably be a dual, kind of like the Jin and the Shang. The Type 94 and 93 are kind of the same hull, same propulsion plant, just uh, with a missile section inserted for the the Jin class, the Type 94s. We'll probably see a Type 95, 96, which will be SSBN and SSN or SSGN variants. And I've seen, I've spotted uh, some hull segments uh, in the yard at, up at Huludao that appear to be a larger diameter, which I predicted would probably be potentially at least some point of development for a larger class of submarine like the 95, 96. Previous reports kind of indicated that that construction seemed to be in the very, somewhat distant future, but we now have 
uh, words like the construction will start in the near term. So it looks like that actually is finally going to happen, which could matter a lot. Um, that I anticipate we may see some a step jump in capability compared to the 94s and 93s, which are much older uh, variant. Also, a surprise was a statement by DOD that Type 94 construction was continuing or restarting, um, which I had no clue that that, that, that was going to happen. Uh, but it sounds like maybe because of some of the delays in getting the Type 96 under construction, apparently they have some more 94s under construction, which is uh, was quite a surprise for me. Tom, did you see anything in here about the aircraft carrier, the Fujian, which is the 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 full deck carrier that's under construction? Um, was there anything in here that that that, that you didn't know before? Not really. I mean, uh, I did not see anything particularly new in that in that discussion. I mean, it was mostly pretty much confirmation of what we had thought. They had an 80-something thousand ton carrier, electromagnetic launchers uh, or catapults, and um, and on you know, basically fitting out and probably gonna go to sea trials sometime soon. What I was looking for and did not see was I was curious to see if DOD had anything to say about the next one they're going to build, uh, if there was any any signs that they might have that the construction of that one was in the offing in any way, I didn't see any mention of that. So that's something I've been watching for closely in imagery and just haven't seen anything yet. It doesn't seem like there's anything I missed. So uh, what's your appreciation of the the efficacy of this ship? I've seen nothing about them testing the electromagnetic catapults. So the emails, launchers, very well-known development in the U.S. to put on the Ford-class carriers, prolonged development of those, lots of questions going on for years, even though they're out and operating and deployed, uh, and and the centerpiece of the U.S. Uh, deployments now in, in uh, response to the uh, Israeli Hamas uh, war going on. Um, I haven't seen any testing about these catapults. Uh, no land-based testing. For the first two carriers, they built big mock-ups. They did all kinds of tests, the Chinese. Um, a lot of this technology, <clears throat> you've seen them working on. I've, I've seen just about nothing on their version of the emails, presuming even if they just simply stole everything from us, they still would be be building prototypes and, and developing them beyond the ship. With, without the without those catapults, this, is, this ship is a big helicopter carrier. But where are the... Where's anything about the catapult de development? Uh, yeah, there's not a lot there. Um, I mean, so just because we haven't found it doesn't mean it's not happening, though. Um, so yeah, but nobody's talking about of, it. The Chinese, the, the the open source intelligence people who are following this stuff like a religion, nobody talks about this. Uh, that's what I'm saying about. I don't. I don't assume that somewhere in the in the Office of Naval Intelligence, somewhere in the Pentagon, people are tracking this and know all about it. I mean, we've had too many failures in the past. So to assume that is, is I'm not going to assume it. So, but I, I hear nothing about it. Everybody talks about this carrier. It's going to be, it's going to go to sea. It's going to do sea trials. Okay. If it all works, it'll do this. Great. But I'm seeing nothing about the development. And that in and of itself, I find really perplexing. Why aren't people talking about that? It was a huge deal in the U.S. It was a major element for multiple years of, of, of hearings. It's still a level of doubt among a lot of people. And there's nothing, zero. Why? Why do you think that is? 
without without those without those catapults, this is a helicopter carrier. Well, so what do you make? If I was to have to choose, if I was to have to choose between kind of two possibilities, one being that um, the open source community just hasn't found the prototypes that they're they're somewhere, uh, we just haven't found them, and the other possibility being that the Chinese didn't prototype, didn't adequately prototype or test this thing. I think the former is probably more likely than the latter. Um, so I, I do want to bet it's, except I would be super surprised if they put this thing to sea and had not adequately tested those systems. Um, so my, I suspect that the open source community just hasn't found them yet. I mean, China's a big place. They have hundreds of airfields. They have huge industrial facilities that are giant warehouses that you're never going to see the inside of. Um, so I, I think that's much more likely. We just haven't found it. But I mean, who knows? We could see. I guess what, I, what I'm getting at is that here in the West, in the U.S. and in the West, we hear tons about tons of problems with any endeavor, any any major endeavor. This is wrong. That's that's delayed. There are problems with this. This is a failure. They have to completely re recast something. This is true throughout the services, throughout different countries. Every country has these issues. Almost every new design, in, in, in the naval sense, has some major problem, including some pretty astounding problems from people that you thought would have their acts together. And yet, there's never this any element of doubt among when we hear the Chinese, including throughout this report. They're doing this, they're doing that, they have this, they have that. Does it work? Do, do, we, do we think it works? Roger, that you know, you never really know if it works until the the stuff hits the fam, but to just assume that all that they're building it. So therefore it's going to work. We give them all this cred. Oh, it's going to work. And yet in the U S nothing is ever going to work. We have tons of hearings every year from people who say nothing's working. And I, I there, there's this immense imbalance. When I read this, read this report full of stuff, all this stuff works really. And I just don't hear enough discussion about the problems that they have in fielding these things and making them work. And that's just as I as I read through these 200 pages, um, that that always just hits me. I mean, it, it's uh, anyway. That's just that's 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 where that goes. I mean, you don't you don't have any reaction to that. You think that's it's okay? Well, I mean. <laughs> I would never say that I assume that it's that this thing is going to go to sea and they're not going to have any problems. I, I, I that's not what I said. What I said was I would be surprised if they haven't prototyped it. Uh, just because we haven't seen the prototypes doesn't mean that they don't exist. So mm -hmm. um, I'm just saying that I think it's very unlikely that they have not, to some degree at least, tested and prototyped this thing, even if we haven't seen it. So that doesn't mean that it's all going to go perfectly. I expect they will have problems. I mean they. Uh, and you're right that we don't really see problems that the problems that they have unless they get to a very high level. So when one of their submarines has an atmosphere control problem and kills 50 plus of their sailors, we eventually hear about that because, you know, eventually it does make its way out. No, no, I'm talking about the recent thing. I'm talking about the other accident they had for many more years right. ago. Right. Um, so sometimes it takes their problems to get to that level that it just can't be hidden that we, that we learn about it or in other cases, we can kind of uh, assess that there were probably issues with systems only because they don't produce them in very large numbers. So, you know, we've had, for example, the, they went through a number of classes of uh, destroyers where they'd only build one or two of them and then move on to the next class, move on to the next class. And then finally they settled on the, you know, kind of, it's kind of settled on the Liang three class and built 
you know, 20 plus of them now. Um, so, so we can kind of, you know, winnow out from that, that maybe those previous designs weren't that great. We never really heard that, but it's kind of unspoken in the sense that they didn't go into series production. There's a lot of different platforms the Chinese build a few of and don't go, don't go into series production. Maybe those are the failures. You just, they don't, don't have a Congress, or at least they don't have a Congress that matters. Um, that, that kind of thing gets aired at. But then I, so I think we kind of probably see what looked like their successes in the things that they do go into mass production and build our large numbers of that appear to work. Uh, but who knows? I mean, the head of the PLA Rocket Force and the chief uh, political commissar both just got fired and re- got replaced mm-hmm. by people from other services, which that could be an indication of really bad problems within that service, but we just don't know that. Uh, as open source analysts, you know, I can't, I'm sure they have problems, but it's hard. I can't point at any one system and say, well, I bet that doesn't work. Uh, and and what can I whistle, whistle past the graveyard and hope that it doesn't when they, you know, they produce these things in large numbers, they seem to be testing them. Um, you know, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that it works. So I want to be, fail, I want to fail conservative in that regard. What, what do you make of, the, of these reports about the submarine? The, the loss of this Type 93 submarine. It, I mean, the, the is this a credible report? Is this a media uh, creation? Is it, what do you think? I, no, I have no idea. I mean, the fact that they denied it doesn't mean anything to me because they, right. they, they deny problems all the time. So um, that doesn't mean anything, but I don't see a lot of evidence for it. I mean, when you, when the, 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 the details that the descriptions that I have read gave didn't make a lot of sense to me as a submariner. Um, something to the effect of they hit a, a net, like an anti-submarine net in the Yellow Sea, and that somehow caused the atmosphere control equipment to fail and everybody died within a matter of hours. And that just doesn't sound right to me because, first of all, I've never heard of nets like that in open ocean. Um, uh, if there was one, I don't see how catching one knocks out your atmosphere control equipment inside the ship. And if you do lose your atmosphere control equipment, you don't run out of oxygen. Unless there's something else that happens on board, like a fire that sucks up all the oxygen, you don't run out of oxygen in hours. It takes days. So uh, so a lot of the details of the story just don't seem to add up to me. So I, you know, who knows? I don't see a great deal of credence in it. But again, the fact that they're denying it doesn't mean anything. And they have had problems with their submarines and atmosphere control equipment killing dozens of sailors before. So it's not like it would be unprecedented. So we started the conversation about the report talking about China's coercion of its neighbors. Um, We've seen a lot of that here lately. I wanted to get your thoughts specifically on some of the incidents that have made it into the media uh, over the last couple of days. Um, You know, thoughts on the latest interactions with uh, the Filipinos and and others? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think what's happening now is I don't think it's so much a uh, change in what's what's happening uh, here and there, I think it's more a matter of the Philippines have gone on this aggressive effort to provide a lot of transparency that just shows the Chinese being doing what they're doing, and and I, and I think that 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 just is is coming to increased uh, you know there's an increased recognition by everybody from that exposure that, that what they're doing is uh, really aggressive and coercive and, and a violation of international law and, and a violation of what. The UN tribunal decided uh, on, on this topic. Um, we also, of course, had a recent revelation by Department of Defense showing 100, over 180 instances that uh, that we've had dangerous 
behavior on the part of the Chinese uh, approaching our aircraft and also approaching our ships. <clears throat> what was funny was there was a recent, uh, after that release of footage, the Chinese released their own footage of the U.S. destroyer claiming that, oh, look at it's look at the dangerous maneuvers that this U.S. destroyer um, conducted in, in, in the vicinity of this Chinese ship. I went through on Twitter and dissected that, and I was able to pretty, I think, conclusively show that those videos didn't show anything. They didn't. They right. did not demonstrate in any way that U.S. warships violated the uh, not, not rules of the road or violated the MOUs that they have. And quite frankly, they actually raised more questions than the answer from China. That if you know, if a U.S. destroyer approaches a Chinese vessel within 700 yards and they claim that that's dangerous, well, the Chinese destroyers have approached much, right. much closer than that to U.S. destroyers. And that's not that's not to engage in whataboutism. It's it's a more matter of Okay, if you're saying that 700 yards is dangerous, then that either means that when your ships come far closer than that, that either you actually don't think that 50 yards is fine and you're lying about the 700 yard CPA, or you're saying out loud that you are willing to you that you are willingly uh, having your ships operate dangerously if they're doing doing this far closer than U.S. ships have. So, anyways, it's a bunch of nonsense. Uh, no surprise there that they would trot out some. Uh, 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 something like that to try to change the conversation unsuccessfully, I think. Just jumping back to the report, because you, you know, again, I mean, you're, for those that don't follow you on Twitter, I, I would highly encourage it because you do a great job of kind of uh, using the report, but then also bouncing back and forth between what's going on real time. Um, you talk about PLA's risky and dangerous behavior and, you know, what's called out in the report. Um, we have seen these incidents um you know, increase over the last two years, as well as over the last decade. Um, from what you read and see, I mean, is this, are we, you know, is there a ceiling to this? Um, or does this just keep um, happening until conflict breaks out? Do you expect to see this kind of uh, ebb? Um, or do we, uh, do, do we eventually have an incident where, you, you know, 205s, uh, uh, you know, handle it themselves because the behavior's gotten so out of control? Yeah, I mean, in terms of a leveling out or uh, reaching a, some sort of point, I mean, in terms of how close they're approaching our vessels, I mean, you know, like eventually they'll make contact if the trend right. lines are keep going as they are. They yeah. keep getting closer and closer. And we had apparently a a Chinese fighter approach within 10 feet of a B-52 last week. Right, so, right. I mean, yeah, eventually maybe they'll, so they'll make contact again like they did in 2001, I believe it was. Right. Um, so uh, that would be bad, obviously. Um, uh, I don't think that, I mean, I think that we should stand our ground, so to speak. I mean, the Chinese seem to think that, you know, this desire to keep American vessels away from their shore, uh, you know, it's this core interest of theirs. And they, they don't seem to recognize that, you know, for the U.S. Navy in particular, freedom of navigation and the, the, the right to operate in international waters, that's something that is also to the absolute core of U.S. maritime interests. And it goes back hundreds of years to the very you know, earliest days of the U.S. Navy dealing with the Barbary pirates uh, in the, you know, the, ver the very founding ethos of the U.S. Navy. So I think they may underestimate just how committed we are um, to maintain that uh, freedom of navigation uh, in international waters and in, 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 in international airspace. As for the uh, other incursions, I mean, yeah, Taiwan, what I'm seeing there is worrying. Um, I do think, to be honest, like, I do think that what uh, this whole idea that 
uh, and, and, and verbiage that we hear trotted out that Chinese aircraft have violated Taiwan's ADAs, uh, people should understand that ADAs don't apply to military aircraft. Like that is, and also quite frankly, Taiwan's ADAs extends well over mainland China. So many of these uh, Chinese uh, aircraft are, so to speak, violating Taiwan's ADAs as soon as they leave the ground. Um, the thing that I think we should focus more on is uh, Chinese aircraft crossing the Taiwan Strait medium line, because that's much more dangerous. I mean, you know, some some group of Chinese aircraft flying southwest kind of counterclockwise around Taiwan, you know, so and I in their aid is, um, you know, does that really, is that something? Sure. Is it super scary for Taiwan? Eh, I mean, they're not really heading towards Taiwan, but these fighters that are approaching the Taiwan median line and then turning around, you know, a flanker at 500 knots from the median line to downtown Taipei is less than 10 minutes flight time. So then continue to approach and turn around and approach and turn around. Uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that I worry if we get too used to it, you know, someday maybe they won't turn around, you know, and and, it'll, and there's so little reaction time left to deal with something like that. So uh, that's the thing that probably one of the things that probably concerns me the most with where the where things are headed. Let, let's dive deeper into the Philippine situation. Chris, you had specifics that you wanted to uh, to ask about. Thanks, Chris. Um, yeah. So, Tom, I mean, you know, what's it's pretty interesting what's going on with the Philippines, uh, you know, under Duterte. Um, the Philippines had really turned away from the U.S., tried to buddy-buddy up um, to, to Xi's China. Um, new Marcos government has reversed that entirely. They've, they're, they're now actively opposing the Chinese in a number of areas and going back to Uncle Sam. Um, we still have a, have a defense pact with the Philippines. The second Thomas Shoal um, in, in incidents have just increased in intensity, of course, the, the Philippines have an old American, what used to be an American uh, landing ship built in 1944, sitting on the reef out there, the Sierra Madre. Um, they have recently, they've, they've, it's been there for many, many years. Uh, there are people living on it. It's, a, it's an absolute mess, but there are resupply missions. The Chinese are now bumping, shouldering, whichever way you want to call it, um, actively, actively um, intervening in the Philippines resupply missions. But this is this has been heightening things that are going on for quite a while. Last few actually months, uh, with fishing fleets, with the militia, um, it, we are now down there with a presence. We're we're showing our aircraft down there. Our ships are now patrolling with Philippines ships. Um, what do you make of this? This is this is getting increasingly dangerous. Is it dangerous? Are we playing with fire? Is this sort of the, the same old thing, or does this have the potential to really erupt? into a bigger, larger uh, incident, especially when the lines of communication between the U.S. Navy and the Chinese Navy are just not being used anymore. Well, I think there's a number of factors that could kind of point in different directions for how dangerous things could be. Um, one degree, it may not entirely be a matter of things being more physically contentious there on the ground as it is a matter of the Marcos administration's drive to just show what's happening is, is raising the level of awareness of what was already happening to some degree. I mean, I, do, I agree the degree of confrontation may have gone up some, but I think a good chunk of it is just a pretty successful effort to bring more transparency to it and just show the Chinese, the China Coast Guard and the maritime militia for what they are. They're bullies at sea in somebody else's you know, exclusive economic zone uh, in, in, in sea space that is not theirs. 
uh, and that an international organization that they agreed to be subject to definitively stated wasn't theirs. So um, I think the I think the Marcos administration, you know, recognized that uh, the Philippines wasn't really getting much out of uh, what you know the, of all the kowtowing that Duterte had done, just hadn't bought him that much, and so. Uh, so among, for that reason, among others, they're just not following suit and they're being much more aggressive with showing showing what's happening. In terms of how dangerous is it, I think there's a lot of different, again, things that pull can pull in different, different directions. One that uh, mitigating kind of direction is just the fact that I don't think anybody involved wants a war. I mean, you know, if you, if you think about kind of the historical examples of, oh, World War I happened sort of by accident because the Archduke got assassinated. Well, I mean, Germany kind of wanted a war to happen. They were just kind of looking for an excuse. I don't think that's the case here. I don't think China wants to go to war at this point. The U.S. definitely doesn't want to go to war over over Scarborough Shoal because, you know, we're status quo power. We don't generally want, we generally want to maintain stability. I think if China wants to start a war, they want to start it on their timetable. Uh, you know, they are a Marxist country. They're a very centrally planned uh, military organization. And I think they'd much rather have something, have a, have a conflict go by their timeline and on a pre-calculated manner, not in some sort of escalation, unexpected escalation spiral. So I think that there are countervailing um, forces there that uh, will, will kind of tamp down the risk of their anything much more serious happening. That being said, uh, if either side thinks that you know, has doubt to that about that, and thinks that a conflict is about to happen. There are very, very powerful first mover advantages in modern precision warfare, and particularly at sea, uh, where you really don't want to get caught shooting second. Um, so that all that could push things the other way a bit. Um, you know, I support what we're doing. I support what the Philippines are doing uh, very much. Uh, and I hope we continue to they continue to stand up for their rights, and we stand behind them. One more little thing, and, and then I'll, 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 I'll throw it back to Chris. Um, of course, there are all these naval movements associated with the Israeli-Hamas war. Um, we have two carrier strike groups over there in the Med at the moment, um, and a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, movements in the Red Sea. Uh, out of the Persian Gulf, the the, the uh, Baton Strategic uh, Ready Group moving out. We've also got two carrier groups underway in the Pacific. All those carrier groups and the fact that they're underway at the same time and the amphibious uh, ready group that's uh, that's out there is actually just an accident. They're not there as, as a result of the, of the, they're not a surge as a result of the war, although some people characterize it that way. In the same way, the Chinese have six warships in the Middle East right now, which is kind of unusual, but it's been happening. I don't, but I don't think it's, this is in response to um, the, the, what's going on in the Mideast. They keep a regular rotation, usually of three ships, uh, the, the, the XX escort force, the 44th escort force just got relieved by the 45th. And what they've been doing is keeping these ships in the region for a while, making port calls. Sometimes they've, they've gone to West Africa, they've gone to the Med, but there's been they've been expanding their presence in that way. And it just so happens at the moment, there's six Chinese warships over there, including three in the Persian Gulf. Um, is that something, should people, are, are people making more of that? Is that more of a normal thing? I mean, it's certainly done, this has been the kind of centerpiece of giving the Chinese Navy regular rotational deployment 
blue water experience, out of area experience, uh, for 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 quite some years now. But should that should people make anything out of that movement any more than it is, or am I am I am I am I playing it down? No, I don't think so. I mean, it sounded to me like that's kind of the normal rotation. Uh, plus, the ships they typically have over there usually it's a destroyer, a frigate, and a um, and a, uh, a, a replenishment ship. I don't see those platforms as being particularly, uh, you know, that, that would do have any role that would matter a whole lot uh, in in anything that might develop over there. Um, so I don't. I mean, it's not something that I've worried much about. Um, you know, is is there a possibility that, you know, depending on where things go, if there turns into some deeper involvement or open conflict with a larger power like Iran, does that potentially detract from the, you know, the U.S. finite resources in terms of uh, what it can dedicate to continuing to deter China on a day-by-day basis? Maybe. Um, but I think this is a pretty fast-moving uh, thing that has happened. I certainly don't think that China had a hand in making this sort of thing happen. And again, the, the kind of thing that I worry about China doing, like an invasion of Taiwan or some sort of larger uh, action in the in the South China Sea, is something that I would take would, would think would take months of planning and preparation. Uh, they're very much not a military that I think wants to to respond to something off the back foot. So, I mean, I, I don't worry too much about Chinese involvement in this case on the short term. On the long term, that's a different story. I mean, I think they will have a much larger influence in the region uh, going forward. I think it's probably, hopefully it's been, uh, or not hopefully, I mean, perhaps um, China's lack of support for Israel uh, in response to the attacks maybe have opened uh, some of the eyes of Israelis because I, I certainly was worried about the degree of involvement uh, and that China was being allowed to have uh, in Israel. And I think the Israelis are pretty quickly seeing that China is not their friend. Um, which is, should be no surprise. Tom, anything else before we go that uh, you, you think folks should uh, be paying attention to? I mean, there's a lot going on. We talked over the last couple weeks about what's going on in the um, in the CENTCOM AOR, but a- anything you, you know that uh, folks should keep an eye on? Well, I guess one last plug I'll give for the the mil- China Military Power Report is anybody that follows me knows how interested I am in yeah. the civilian Low dual road. purpose mm-hmm. military civilian roll on roll off vessels and the fact that they could help to enable a, a Chinese invasion of Taiwan. Um, I've been fascinated by that topic because I think it um, influences, you know, like probably the most important, one of the most important defense related questions to ask and answer these days is can China invade Taiwan? Uh, and I think the answer to that question, in the absence of those vessels, uh, if, if China was only relying on its gray-hauled uh, Navy amphibious assault vessels, the answer is a pretty clear no. They don't, they don't have the capacity to invade Taiwan. But these ships and the way the Chinese are practicing using them and the numbers involved and their size and their um, ability to carry and quickly drop off um, uh, large numbers of troops and vehicles, I think that makes the answer a maybe at least. So... I've been fascinated by that for about on that topic for some time now, uh, because I do think it is so important to understand. Last year's report, it was it was mentioned for the first time in about in short blurbs, six or seven different spots. This year's report has three solid pages that are de- that are devoted to this topic. Um, so I'm very glad to see that the DoD seems to be paying very close attention to what I think was an underappreciated threat. Tom, thank you very much. We've been talking to Thomas Shukart, uh, retired naval officer, former submariner. 
uh, CNAS fellow and friend of the pod. Uh, Tom, thank you. We could spend another hour going through everything that's for sure. Appreciate your regular updates and uh, look forward to having you back on soon. Okay. Thanks, gentlemen. Have a great day. Thank you, Tom. Now hear this. Now hear this. All right. We now have a CNO and an Air Force Chief of Staff, finally. Mr. Cervello now with some thoughts. Thanks, Chris. As we mentioned at the top, after months of delays, the Senate has now confirmed Admiral Lisa Franchetti to be the 33rd Chief of Naval Operations. A quick glance around the globe, and it is more obvious than ever that America needs a strong and capable Navy, a sea service that is valued just as much for its deterrent ability as for its kinetics. The next four years will be about rebuilding a dialogue with the workforce, with civilian leaders in the Pentagon, and with the American public so that all understand the human and machine value resonant in our Navy. Admiral Franchetti is a brilliant, capable warfighter and is absolutely the right person at the right time to motivate and carry our Navy forward. Over the last five or six years, the Navy, due to a variety of factors, has fallen on hard times. Public squabbling, loss of appreciation for some of its best and brightest, a shrinking fleet, and political leadership afraid to stand up for the service's core missions and capabilities. In her first months in office, our new CNO will need to right the ship by putting an end to parochial bickering, asking for less creative leaders to retire, and beginning a new dialogue with sailors to win back trust and confidence. This is a big job, a huge job, one that will test the talent and determination of Admiral Franchetti. And while I have absolute faith in her ability to hit the ground running and make an immediate impact, she needs a confirmed number two. And she needs one now. Sadly, it took General Smith falling ill before the Senate got its act together and confirmed an assistant commandant. Let's not make the same mistake on the Navy side. If Admiral Franchetti is to make the impact we need her to make, she must have a VCNO and the rest of her team confirmed soonest. Amen. Thanks, Chris. Well, folks, that does it for this week. As always, our thanks go out to Vagamoradian and the Defense and Aerospace Group for their support. The Cavishers podcast is sponsored by GE Marine, a GE aerospace company offering unparalleled power and propulsion for ships from the biggest combatants to the smallest, fastest patrol boats. GE's propulsion solutions are ready for the next generation of sea power. Learn more at geaerospace.com marine. And by HII. HII is one of the largest artificial intelligence and machine learning federal contractors to the U.S. government. HII, delivering the advantage. Be sure to follow us at Cavish Ships on Twitter. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Cervello. And I'm Chris Cavus. Thanks for listening. And bye-bye. Bye.